Let's make real estate for everyone. Welcome to the Addy Podcast. At Addy, we're on a mission to make every human a homeowner. On our podcast, we share real estate investing best practices, industry news, and advice from real life experts. Keep up to date with what we're doing at addyinvest.com. I'm Katie Kernahan, and today on episode number seven of the Addy Podcast, we talk with real estate developer Andrew Gaucher about the impacts of this crisis on secondary investment markets like Kelowna. Andrew Gaucher is a local legend of sorts in the Kelowna real estate scene. When you look at his resume, it quickly becomes clear why. He somehow splits his time between being the VP of the McKinley Beach community, the founder and president of Catalyst Land Development, and the GM of G Group Land Development. As if that wasn't enough, he also finds time to enrich Kelowna's real estate market as a director of Okanagan's Urban Development Institute. He also co-founded the Kelowna chapter of TEDx. Not only does he manage to successfully divide his time between his successful real estate development companies and volunteer work, he manages to do all of it with minimal impact to the environment, a personal goal of his. Andrew, welcome. Um, So I guess to kick things off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself um, and your background? Sure, I've uh, been in the industry primarily in the Okanagan for about a dozen years started in uh, home construction. So while I was doing my undergrad, I started a green construction company called Green Solutions. I ran that for four or five years, and then I rolled that uh, company into a land development company, uh, a family-owned land development company, and have been doing that ever since. We develop a number of different types of products depending upon sort of the point in the market and, um, and what we pick up. So we've done you know, four to six story multifamily, done mixed use. We, um, we've developed and retained management on some commercial properties. And then our primary development we spend most of our time on now is McKinley Beach, which is a 900 acre master plan community in, uh, in northern Kelowna. So still in city proper Kelowna. Um, it's that one will have about 1300 units of build out. We're about 500 units into that at the moment. Okay. And how has this um, pandemic affected your McKinley Beach development and your other commercial properties? Yeah. So, so starting with McKinley Beach, um, we, we, we do it, we, the way we, we've done that one is we do a lot of pre-sales and then it might take, you know, six, six, 12, 18 months to close those pre-sales. So for the most part, that's all been proceeding um, as, as is normal. Um, certainly the, the, the months leading up, call it January and February, and even the beginning of March were, were quite strong, uh, significantly start stronger, two to three times stronger than, say, last year. Um, and then, of course, once the pandemic hit, the, the sales uh, petered off quite a bit. Um, we were tracking, we, we moved all of our marketing components uh, from traditional marketing mediums, such as, you know, say, radio and a newspaper into digital. And uh, we've, been, we've been getting huge lead gen, like uh, probably close to 10 times our normal lead gen from those mediums. Uh, the, the premise being that people are spending a lot more time on the internet consuming, consuming things that way. So we, we're getting a lot of leads coming in, but um, closing those leads is, is a lot slower. We have sold a couple actually just last night. Um, so those will be the first time, first homes we've closed uh, or sorry, sold in uh, uh, for firm deals in the last 30 days or so, um, which is definitely slower than normal, but it's still up, uh, a good thing to be, to be closing in, in this kind of market. Um, on the commercial side of things, um, definitely our smaller mom and pop tenants have felt this the hardest and fastest. Those those tenants that were regulated to be closed. So, for example, 
um, you know, yoga studios or restaurants, um, you know, travel related businesses, they felt it the fastest and the hardest. So we've been working with them uh, in terms of some, some rent breaks and, and things like that. And also started to look at what planning might look like as these regulations ease up over the coming weeks and months uh, and how we can help them get back uh, up and running as soon as possible. Right. And so for just going back to um, the sales that you're talking about, you're still getting inquiries and you're getting quite a few leads. Have the the types of questions people are asking um, changed with respect to um, the development or have um, have there, you know, been reasons why um, they're not closing as quickly that are different than before? Um, the questions haven't changed considerably, but their buying process has changed considerably. So uh, not surprisingly, they're they're doing a lot of these things digitally. So we, we've been doing a lot of what I would call content creation. So our salespeople are like literally just walking around the development, showing different aspects of the development. That parlays usually into like a FaceTime call with the uh, with the interested party. And then after after a FaceTime call, uh, oftentimes they'll go out independent of us. So so you know you know their own site tour, if you will. Um, compile a number of questions and then if a realtor is involved usually at that point they get inserted and they do their own independent tour and then from there everything's done on zoom calls and with DocuSign when it comes to contracts so um, pretty pretty well respecting all the physical distancing um, ongoings right now uh, in, in terms of new new questions no but certainly in terms of new leads yes we, we've definitely seen more and more um, people from major city centers of course primarily Toronto and Vancouver that we're already looking at Kelowna, I would say, but being able to work remotely or rather being forced to work remotely recently has definitely driven a few people faster to a decision to move. Right, and so are these people looking for it as their primary residence, like they're relocating or are they looking for like a secondary home? Um, almost exclusively primary residence. You know, everyone's, I would say one in 10 to one in 20 people are looking at secondary homes um, through this, this crisis, you know, secondary home is obviously sort of a, a nice to have, a luxury to buy. So I'm um, definitely most of what we're dealing with right now is primary residence moving. Right. And then with respect to your commercial tenants, um, like what, are you, you know, obviously open communication with them in terms of where they're standing with their businesses, but what other support are you finding is helpful for you both as the landlord and then um, what are you offering to your tenants? Sure. So definitely, like you said, keeping two lines of communication open. So it's very important uh, for the tenant to know that, you know, there is support and there's an open line on our side. But then equally, it's important to know that we're thinking, sorry, it's important for us to know that they're thinking about contingency plans. You know, how are they going to make it over through, say, three to four to five months of staying closed? Um, maybe not that long. And then, of course, what does reopening look like? Does reopening look like, you know, 50% capacity in the case of a restaurant, for example? So definitely communication. In terms of um, in terms of sort of how we've been helping, financially speaking, um, it, it does differ by tenant. But, you know, our, our sort of our first, first course of action was to defer 50% um, of uh, gross rents for three months uh, and we offered sort of a 12, 12 month uh, repayment plan on that. But then again, um, beyond that or anything beyond that is on a tenant by tenant basis. Right, and what do you, obviously um, tourism is going to be impacted and we're moving into the summer months. We've made a long weekend coming up. Um, how, I mean, with the mix of your tenants with restaurants, um, I don't know, shops and things like that, like how are you starting to think about as we move into the summer months with respect to tourism impacting um, secondary markets like Kelowna. 
Yeah. So Kelowna um, is is a huge tourism, or sorry, rather tourism is a is a huge part of Kelowna's um, draw and attention. Unsurprisingly, um, not that I have any tenants that are wineries, although there is a, there's a winery vineyard under development in Kelowna Beach. They're not a tenant. Um, they're doing quite well, it seems, with with sales. I mean, I don't know the sales numbers, but I do know that they're very busy with you know home delivery and pickup. So I'm hopeful that their sales, um, notwithstanding say tasting rooms being closed, are are going well. I know I know liquor in general is way up, like 200% of normal, as as is grocery. Um, but in terms of the the sort of call it non-essential day to day services that as they slowly open up, um, it's mostly just going to be. Um, how do we balance, you know, rents and things like that, uh, rents and costs like that with capacity to open? So if a restaurant can only fit a third of people, what does that look like in terms of the affordability? Um, what does that look like long term? How long are we doing distancing for? You know, that's a widely debated topic. Some people think months, some people think years. So. Mm-hmm. Um and then just sort of shifting gears a little bit in terms of thinking about, I know you own a lot of commercial real estate. How do you think about commercial real estate before in terms of an investment before um, the pandemic versus how you're going to think about it after? Yeah. So obviously after a, a crisis like this, um, a black swan event, everything looks uh, look, it, it's a lot easier to assess things in retrospect. Um, you know, we were very fortunate with our tenant mix going into this, that they're, they're heavily weighted just coincidentally to essential services that people are demanding during this kind of a crisis. You know, for example, if this was a financial crisis and not initially a health crisis, which turns into a financial crisis, um, that tenant mix that would survive would look very differently. Um, and then, of course, depending upon your tenant mix when it comes to offices, you know, how many of those co- companies can work remotely versus not. So again, we've been very fortunate in our case um, that our tenant mix is very sound relative to this particular crisis. But I wouldn't pretend that was it's you know we didn't do any pandemic planning to to make sure our tenant mix was was conducive to that. Um, going forward, uh, you know I, I I'm optimistic for retail. Uh, you know while this is very very challenging uh, for a lot of retailers and certainly some won't make it through the end of this. Um, I, I, I do think that they're going to bounce back very quick and very hard. So, you know, while their overall revenues, for example, may be lower because they obviously have less bums and seats because they can because of physical distancing measures, you know, we're all going to go back to eating sushi. We're all going to go back to, you know, lunch meetings and things like that as soon as possible in, in most circumstances. So I'm optimistic that a lot of those retailers will be able to bounce back one way or the other. So I'm hopeful that a lot of landlords are working with their, uh, their tenants right now to the extent they can. Some landlords are mom and pop and they, you know, they really, they, they um, are hand to mouth in the sense that they collect their rents and then that's their uh, only livelihood. So obviously some, some landlords are more limited than others in, in their capacity to help financially. Mm-hmm. And so let's take a sort of a bird's eye view at, you know, the Okanagan um, and Kelowna's sort of an investment market. What were, what were the trends in the area leading up to this pandemic? Um, like, was it growing um, versus, you know, what you're expecting to see after this? Yeah, so historically, you know, speaking over the last 20 years, Kelowna has been a retirement market. Um, in, in a couple of ways, one, people here were already old, but are generally old because young people in, in a lot of ways left in order to find a career and perhaps came back to, to uh, grow a family. Excuse me. Um, and then, of course, from a tourism standpoint, a lot of people vacation here and then subsequently want to retire here. So while that's still a, a predominant point of, uh, of um, 
of the market or a predominant size of the market market increasingly there are younger and younger people here i mean um about 10 years ago i started doing uh, as this little side project tedx here and uh, one of the reasons i did that was because there was almost no programming or things to do for young professionals in town and you know now call it pre-pandemic anyways it was you know there's five or six young professionals uh gigs every night so um while while cologne is still a small center and while their technology our technology industry is is um small relative to say silicon valley um on a per capita basis it punches way above its weight so that's definitely a huge growth sector here i think it has been and, and i'm i'm quite optimistic that it will continue to be in the future um, as we see remote work become more and more viable, it's sort of been forced on almost every company these days uh, because of this um, health crisis. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that Kelowna could become a secondary market for people to have their headquarters. It wouldn't be the first time I've heard of people looking at this market to move, uh, to, to open up a secondary office. From an affordability perspective, you know, earnings very similar to Vancouver. You might take a 10% haircut, but cost of living is is well below 10%. So, so the, the the marginal differential for their employees, people, you know, say your headquarters in Vancouver, but your employees may be partially in Kelowna, uh, it works out quite well. Okay. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, so um, before this pandemic, would you, um, were, were residential listings, for example, um, you know, were they on the market for a long time? Were there a lot of um, buying and selling happening in the area? Yeah, so so February or January is a slow time of year. It always is, always has been. Um, February started to pick up. March was was considerable. Um, I think it was again multiple times uh, busier than last year. Uh, you know, it, it was an interesting point in the. Uh, I guess call it the overall cycle. However, though, um, you know, 08, 09, and two thousand ten were sort of the last uh, the last peak. Um, I would argue that actually we had our, our most recent peak in mid-year, May 2017. Um, and then it had slowed down 2018, 2019 was slower. You know, it was off, you know, 30 to 40%, not in terms of price, in terms of uh, number of, of units sold year over year. Um, so 17 to 18, 18 to 19. And then now we're in 2020, of course. There, they, there was not, and there is not a lot of inventory sitting on the market. Um, so, you know, that, that may change depending upon the duration of this event. Um, but coming into this, the market was very healthy and was, was poised for a very strong year. Right. And so are people still listing property right now? Um, talking to, uh, looking, looking at the MLS statistics and talking to, you know, a number of realtor colleagues of mine, it looks like it's sort of one for one in the sense that, um, there are, there is as many sales happening right now and there, there are still sales happening. Um, as there are listings coming on. So no, I think there's just as many people who have said, you know, let's put a pause on this. You know, we're going to sell our house this spring. Maybe let's wait till June or maybe let's wait till September. So um, no, we haven't seen a number of listings come on the market relative to um, relative to sales yet. Right. And then what about developments? I mean, I've heard some people say that um, people who are, you know, the, in the middle of building big towers, with the social distancing rules, it's putting strain on the ability for, these these developments to actually meet their timelines. Um, and there's some concern about people who had done pre-sale walking away from these investments and then you know thinking about coming later and getting it for cheaper. Do you see that as a risk in the area? Yeah, it's, it's always a risk. You know, um, on those multi-year projects, time is, is always a, a, a huge risk. It's always working against you in a lot of different ways. Um, it's dealing with this, the whole physical distancing piece first, Mm, there are a, a number of towers under construction in Kelowna. There's about half a dozen. 
Um, none of them have been shut down or yeah, no, none of them have been shut down. Um, for sure in close quarters, i.e. you have to ride an elevator up in those circumstances to get to the particular unit you're working on would be, would, would add to the timeline. Um, all of our developments right now are low rise and low density. So, so while we've definitely implemented physical distancing and sanitization requirements on all of our sites, uh, it hasn't had any impact for the low density stuff yet. Um, there are a number of towers that have are, are actively closing. I, I know of two um, in the past, say, 30 days, and I have heard of very few people walking, you know, walking from deposits, if you will, and, and not closing. So that's a good thing. Again, coming into this, it was fairly robust. Most of the towers were 90% plus pre-sold. Right. Um, and so just I want to go back to your comment around remote work. Um, so do you think that the sudden growth of remote work is going to change sort of like big business? And, you know, I know that in Vancouver, you know, there's like floors of five floors of um, a law firm, for example, that are suddenly working from home and maybe they don't need to have that same footprint in downtown Vancouver. Do you see um, changes in the way business operate and maybe, maybe they're moving to other markets, either their offices or they're actually going to start looking at employing people in other markets? Yeah, so you hit on a number of really interesting points there, and um, the short answer is yes. <laughs> but but digging into that, um, so so you know, remote work was already a growing thing, but it was a very small percentage of the market. I think it was you know somewhere between one and five percent of, of people worked remotely in in North America coming into this crisis. Um, anybody who can work remotely is working remotely now. So, so you know, looking forward, if I was going to forecast, the way I'm thinking about this right now is to use the example of the flat five-floor law firm, and I've heard of a number of large companies, um, other companies as examples as well. The way I think people are going to look at this as their leases come due and renew is they're going to say, so we've, been, it's, we've sort of been forced into figuring out a way to work remotely. Um, I think there's probably going to be, and this is how I would, I'm probably going to transition our office to, is there's going to be sort of a public portion of the office where, you know, maybe it's nicer than the rest of the office. That's not uncommon already. Um, and then a private portion and the private portion where typically most of your employees would come and attend work each day will be, I would, I would guess maybe 30 to 50% sized as what it was leading into this crisis. And it'd be probably hot desk. So the way I'd approach is that I'd say, you know, to my team, uh, you know, come into the office. I want you in the office one or two days a week and the rest of the time, you know, you could be remote. Remote works very well for construction. I mean, we're in, in a lot of ways, you sort of have to work remotely. And if you're not working remotely in construction, you're being pretty inefficient. Um, otherwise, you're going to be driving all over the place. So there's other benefits to remote work. Of course, you know, um, obviously, obviously less remote or more remote workers is going is to uh, create um, in, an increase in inventory in the office market in the short term. Anyways, but you know, in terms of the health of, of the, um, the workforce, uh, I'm optimistic that it can be a good thing longer term once sort of the market absorbs that inventory. Uh, you're, you're commuting less, so you know, you can, you can work more hours. Uh, and I don't mean, you know, now you have a 10 hour workday or something like that, but the number of hours that you're, you're working, you know, if, if you're working say eight hours, you can actually be working and, and active those eight hours as opposed to driving and whatnot. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what about behavioral changes as a result of this crisis? How do you think that's going to, um, I mean, it's obviously going to have impacts on people's working life, um, but how do you think this is going to impact the way people think about real estate investments? So I'm thinking things like, um, you know, being more concerned about 
um, the air quality in a building. Maybe they people are going to care less about access to public transit because of the nature of remote work. Yeah. So being in a secondary market, I, I look at this a lot because it's the primary markets that are the denser markets, and the dens the density is is. It, in a lot of cases, the drivers of disease, just, I mean, the number of, the, the, the tighter amount of people we pack into a smaller space, the, the more chances there are to pass that disease. Um, the one thing that people have to, and, I, and I'm confident will remember through this is, you know, the chance of a recurring pandemic, you know, this being something, when you buy real estate, you should be buying it on a timeline that's more than say one year or two years or three years. You should be looking at, in my opinion, minimum five years per investment, because then you can sort of get in and out within a reasonable uh, point in the cycle, no matter where the cycle's at. So if you're looking at real estate in say a four or five, six year investment term, I mean, the chances of there being a pandemic like this um, are, are very, very unlikely to happen again once we're through this particular crisis. Um, having said that, I've read a lot of articles and I definitely understand the rationale, um, you know, we were talking about earlier, if you're living in a 50 story tower and you've got to ride that elevator every day by either by yourself, i.e. you're waiting for everyone else to finish using the elevators or you're riding with other people. Um, if, if it doesn't get you infected with a potential disease, it's definitely going to uh, be a stressful sort of day to day event. So, um, you know, looking at New York and Los Angeles, they've, they've, their populations have actually been shrinking for about the last 10 years. Um, so, so this is not a new trend that people are moving to more suburban markets, um, secondary markets. And I think that, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, whether that, that, that uh, this is the right decision, I think that this is definitely going to have people look very, very hardly at that option and say, you know, can, can we move somewhere that's less dense and, you know, is it, is it better for our health? Yeah, exactly. I think it'll be really interesting to see. You know, we've been, you do this for a certain amount of time, you start creating habits and so then how are those habits going to infiltrate into your day-to-day -day life coming out of this? Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, distressed assets. Um, I know there's a lot of talk about people, you know, deferring mortgages. Um, what is your take on the ability for real estate investors to pick up um, investment opportunities in Kelowna um, for, at a discounted price in the coming months? Sure. Um, so, so um, this 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 could potentially be a, a very catastrophic, um, financially speaking, crisis beyond the obvious, um, you know, potential for loss of life and illness. Illness. Um, and the one unique thing in this crisis is that the government has stepped up quicker and broader. You know, whether you're looking at the United States or Canada. Um, faster than they ever have. So I do think that's going to save a lot of people who would otherwise be underwater on their mortgage payments a lot more than, you know, if, if the governments weren't stepping in as quickly and to the extent that they are. Um, are there going to be distressed assets? Yes, of course there are. Um, are they going to look like foreclosures? I'm not sure. I think it's probably going to be more like um, there's a pause in, in the, in the um, there's a pause in this, this crisis over the summer. Um, people who now have been through a number of months of stress uh, or potentially are to work are probably going to say, listen, we have to sell the house and we're going to become renters. Um, so, you know, are there going to be, is there going to be a number of uh, uh, new listings come on this summer? Absolutely. Are they going to be priced more aggressively than say they were in March if they, the same listing were to be there? I think they will. Um, I, I don't think you're going to see a huge rash of, um, of foreclosures unless, of course, there's a, a second peak 
this fall and winter in the market, then, I mean, who knows? In, I guess unless the government steps in again and Ruffer offers, um, you know, uh, uh, or has the banks offer, I should say, another another round of mortgage deferrals. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, uh, then, of course, you could see that again. I, I actually think that there's going to be, you know, beyond this three months, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one or two months of mortgage deferrals that are offered even at this initial case. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I'm optimistic that, I'm optimistic that we're going to have learned enough lessons through this first peak in the crisis, in the health crisis, that through this summer and into the fall, the next flu season, October, November, we're able to clear up enough hospital space, have enough reagents and and all the different things ready for swabs and testing that notwithstanding there being more of the economy reopened, uh, you know, there's not a really huge peak in this virus again, which would again have the financial consequences following those health consequences. Right. So for real estate investors, what would your advice be for someone who's keeping an eye on Kelowna as a potential market? So, I mean, watch MLS. It depends on how, how involved you are in the market. Um, watch MLS, you know, if, if you like a particular area of town, you know, from a, from a Vancouver right looking into Kelowna, Kelowna might be a small market, but within Kelowna, there's, you know, at least half a dozen, you know, se- sectors of the market um, that have, you know, more, some have more redevelopment potential than others. Um, you know, downtown Kelowna, um, as much as it's a small area, has been going under a lot of revitalization. So um, I think that that's going to continue, notwithstanding sort of this in interim damage that's being done to retail. Um, so yeah, watch MLS. You know, if you have a particular neighborhood uh, that you really like, uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of door knocking. I mean, the best way to get into a real estate investment is to buy before it's on the market. Once it's on the market and if it's a hot deal, I mean, foreclosures usually go through courts when uh, or always go through court sales there's almost always a number of people um, that are offering on it that obviously the number of offers that are on a foreclosure are going to drive up the price so um, you know the best thing to do is is just to 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 door knock if you can if you know the market well enough and and second to that watch MLS and what about other markets in this round like Vernon for example or some of these other um, you know interior BC markets do you see similar trends there and for people that are maybe looking at investment opportunities in those markets, same thing. Yeah, Lake Country is going. Lake Country is growing um, disproportionately faster than most of the other markets in this area. I'm not in Lake Country only because uh, McKinley Beach is. It's like literally our northern border on that development borders Lake Country, so I'm kind of almost already there. Uh, in terms of other interior markets that I'm not in, but I'm watching and I and I like is Kamloops. Um, just like the, the peaks of the cycles in Vancouver tend to be, you know, big ups, big downs or not big downs, but you know, they, they tend to be more peaky. Sorry, Kelowna is more moderated. And then, and then Kamloops is even more moderate than Kelowna. It's very much a sort of a, a blue collar town. That's, um, you know, consistent, uh, a, a decent growth year over year over year. So, um, yeah, so, so, you know, Lake Country is a, is a little, um, is growing faster and a little more affordable than, than uh, the city of Kelowna. And then next after that, I like uh, Kamloops. Right. And do you, I mean, I know it's not necessarily where you're investing actively, but do you have a point of view on Vancouver Island? Um, no, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know the market well. I know that it was growing um, very, very quickly and, and very hot. I don't know the market dynamics there in the sense that I don't know the buyer profile. So the reason why I, I would sort of stop with a no is that I don't know what's feeding that market at primarily. 
relative to say, uh, you know, I know where the buyers are coming into the Okanagan for. Um, I, I don't think people are, you, maybe, you know, you're, you're a Vancouver, right? I don't think people are living in on the island and commuting in, into uh, Vancouver to work. Um, so, so then the next question is, you know, where is that? Is it a, is it a vacation play? Uh, is it a secondary market or sorry, a secondary home market play? I'm not, I'm not totally sure on that one. Right. No, that's fair. Just thought I'd ask. Um, so, you know, what learnings do you have so far, um, you know, as a developer in the area and an investor in real estate, what learnings do you have, um, from this pandemic that, you know, you would apply, say this happened again, or that you're going to, if we had another wave of this in the, in the winter, what sort of things would you be thinking about? Um, you know, I, I like the saying that, that I've been thinking a lot about it and it's like, you know, try and keep your eyes on the horizon as opposed to at the edge. Um, you know, it, it, in this sort of a circumstance, as in any crisis, um, it's very easy to get stuck in the negatives, the negative details, the negative risks, this and that. Um, and, and forget that, you know, usually there is always an equal opportunity to every risk. So each day while, of course, you have to maintain uh, normal business operations, you have to keep your, your closings happening, you have to keep your you have to do your best to work with your tenants to, to keep them solvent and, and operating so that they can come out of this with a bang. Um, you know, preserving the mental space and then the capital capacity cash to, to take advantage of the opportunities when they do present themselves um, would be would be definitely um, the primary thing I would say right now. Mm -hmm. And what about um, for yourself, like what resources are you leaning on right now when it comes to staying on top of the real estate trends and you know what what you can leverage from the government um, to support your tenants and to support yourself yeah um, I, I, I mean I, I at least I find the media is this is all they're covering right now so um, right now I mean it's hard to turn on turn on anything on TV without finding um, a, a breadth of information BDC I mean we have we haven't personally tapped or, or corporately tapped into any of the uh, government resources um, but BDC, I've definitely referred, uh, made personal, personal introductions to some, um, some bankers at BDC for our tenants to work with. Um, they've got some great programs. I think any of the charter banks and any of the financial institutions are set up to process the, the various, you know, there's five or six of, of these different, um, the government initiatives. I do hear that there is a, um, there's rent relief for tenants coming. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know the details of what that form looks like. I, I've heard. I've heard both accounts. I've heard on one hand that it's going to be a, some form of debt, which um, I think a lot of tenants, you know, won't utilize. You know, taking on a lot of debt that you have to repay while you're also trying to regrow your business is not super attractive. Um, but then I've also heard that it's going to come in the form of grants. So if it comes in the form of grants, you know, three months. I think Nova Scotia. Um, yeah, I think Nova Scotia, if I'm if I'm recalling it correctly, has has already rolled a program out whereby um, they're basically the, the government is guaranteeing to the landlord three months of rent up to $15,000 per tenant and up to $50,000 per landlord. So I wouldn't be super surprised if, um, if for example, you know, BC or, or other provincial governments follow suit with, with something like that. Um, but that's just something that, that's not, that's not out there yet. So. Right. And what about um, your staff? Um, what resources are you providing to them right now? Um, so all of our staff uh, started working remotely, I think, as of March 13th. 
Um, so obviously health is first and foremost. I shouldn't say that. We have, uh, we have one administrator working by herself uh, in the office, but since she's the only one, uh, we figured that it's probably, uh, probably safe. She's distanced well from all of us. So um, in terms of that, uh, that I mean, I mean, we, we put all of our, our um, salespeople on sales draws. So while commissions slowed down, we put them on draws to sort of, um, you know, tie things over for a few months here. Um, other than that, we have, you know, um, daily one-on-one -on -one calls and those are just, just, just things that, you know, as they come up, we have, we have FaceTimes or whatnot, but, but each week we sort of have a, a, a no agenda staff meeting where we, we just basically, uh, all jump on zoom together. Um, and you know, uh, chat about anything that's on anybody's mind, any concerns or, you know, power their kids, making sure everyone's healthy. Fortunately, uh, everybody um, in our teams have, has stayed healthy. We had a few uh, scares where people got sick, um, uh, contractors on some of our sites, but it turned out to be like stomach flu, uh, not COVID. So, so far we've been very fortunate. Right. And what about your customers? Have you had, um, you know, a lot of calls from them? Are you providing additional resources to them? Yeah, so we're, we're um, we, we have, we have not had a lot of calls. We've done outreaches to them to make sure they have what they need and, and to reach out to us. Um, definitely taking care of the com our communities as much as we can. What I mean by that is, is being there to facilitate deliveries if somebody, you know, can't get out of their house or won't get out of their house or is, um, uh, has health challenges. So to a, to a, to a small degree, we've helped a few people with that. Um, in terms of like closings, financially speaking, we'd be more flexible with people. Uh, you know, obviously we, we still want them to close on their purchases, but to the extent that they need a little bit more time or, you know, for example, a, a great example, one person um, is stuck in Dubai. So they live in Vancouver. They were in Dubai when this all happened. They have family there. They can't get home right now, obviously. Um, so, you know, we've, we've been working with them to do uh, digital walkthroughs of their house uh, and, you know, we're going to postpone closing for a little while and then they're going to actually, they're, they're still going to close from Dubai. But anyways, I guess the, the short story is, yeah, we're working with, uh, we're working with everybody to, to make this as easy as, as, as it can be during this time. Yeah, perfect. Um, so I'm going to pivot a little bit over to restaurants and retail in Kelowna. Um, do you think that they're going to come back to pre-COVID levels? Yes, um, I, I, I would say when uh, is a better question. So maybe, um, you know, usually summer is a really strong time. Um, I think it will still be a really strong time, but you can imagine if you have 100 seats in your restaurant and because of distancing, you can now only fill 30. Even if you're filling 30 uh, at every meal, it's still way off from where it should be. So I think it's going to take some time. I think it's going to take, you know, a solid six to 12 months to come back to pre-COVID levels. I'm, I'm more optimistic though, that, you know, at least restaurant and that kind of, that form of retail um, will definitely come back and will come back. It'll be one of the fastest segments of, of the market to come back longer term uh, because of the trends that I talked to, or we talked about earlier, um, longer term, I'd be more worried about, um, about office. Um, you know, I could see, I could see there being an immediate, 10% plus vacancy um, that's combined a more remote work and B business is going out of business. And I could take, I could see it uh, taking a little while to fill that, that vacancy. Right. What would your tips be for, you know, say you're in that, you find yourself in that position and you need to replace tenants. What would your tips be for finding like a good tenant and then um, for managing, you know, to bridge that gap while something's all vacant? Uh, so what will be my requirement um, to filling vacant spaces through this or after this? 
Yeah, after. Um, so, so going back to what I was talking about earlier, keeping public and private areas of your offices, I think, is going to be increasingly an increasing trend. Um, obviously, sanitization is important. It should always be important, but even more so now. Um, and then in closed offices, you know, I've, I've heard some trends. I haven't seen any data to back this up, but I've heard anecdotal evidence that in China, there's actually more demand for office space because these, these uh, office users that were previously in huge, huge bullpen sort of areas are moving to an entire uh, sort of contained, self-contained office space so that each employee has a wall of some form between them and the, the other employee that were previously in a bullpen in. So, um, you know, in going back towards a re-enclosed office, even if it's small offices with private space and um, I guess you could say like um, healthier air space, you're, you know, you're not sharing the, the germs potentially with your colleague next door. Um, I, I could see that um, a growing trend as well. So if you have vacant space, you might look at doing some improvements to sort of move in this direction. Right. Great. Um, so before we get into questions, um, in terms of, you know, the Okanagan market, Kelowna market, are you optimistic um, for real estate investment there? Or, um, you know, would you kind of wait and see? Um, so I think any buying opportunities have yet to be seen, you know, I think it's, it's still early for that. I'm, I'm definitely optimistic, uh, for a few reasons. One, um, there has been a, a, at least some flight of capital into real estate just because, uh, the, the markets have been, not the, the stock markets have been so volatile lately. Um, you know, I've, I've definitely been contacted by more than one investor looking to sort of place some funds um, for the short term, 6, 12, 18, 24 months. Um, and then uh, longer term, call it this fall, next spring, as we get control one way or the other or get a handle on this virus one way or the other, I do think we're going to see a very strong rebound to not just Kelowna, but a lot of secondary markets. Um, because people, uh, because I, I, I think this remote work thing is really underplayed and a, and a lot more people are going to be able to work at company X and live elsewhere. They're not going to have to be co-located anymore. And this has forced a lot of more traditional bosses to look at that as a reality. And a lot of tech companies have been doing this for a long time. Um, but a lot of non-tech companies um, were adamantly opposed to it. This has required them to sort of get into that, uh, get into that habit. And, and like you said, once habits are established and once um, the viability of remote work is, is proven, proven um, which might be on an employee-by-employee -employee basis, not on a company-by-company basis, then I think you could see people start to live, live and work in totally disparate places across the globe. Yeah, totally. Um, Awesome. So I think with that, we'll turn it over to questions. Uh, we have a few people on the line. Um, Steve Jagger, co-founder at Addy, will facilitate uh, this part of the process. But again, for those on the line, um, if you create an Addy account, we'll give you $5, really enter to win, sorry, a $50 Addy wallet credit. Uh, over to you, Steve. Great, thanks. Um, I've got a whole bunch of questions. Um, Andrew, I think you've seen the webinars before. So when it comes to questions, they're kind of, we bounce around um, quite a bit. Um, so I will run through them here quickly. Um, and you're just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> so the first one is uh, from Sony. He says, what, what's the profile of a buyer in Kelowna? Yeah, so um, more people more people always assume that Kelowna buyers are part-time residents. 
Um, so, you know, McKinley Beach, I, I can tell you exactly what our, our buyer profile is there. Um, there are only about 10 to 15% of our buyers of the hundreds that we bought in that project that are, um, that are using this seasonally. And, and even then, call it no vacation renters, a large percentage of those are people that are within, say, five years of retirement. So they're buying now, using it during the summers, and then they're going to retire here. Um, in, terms of, in terms of sort of um, age group, uh, you know, they're, they're, I, like I said, there's an increasingly large contingent of, of millennials moving to town and working in town. That's not, however, our particular buyer at McKinley Beach for the most part. Um, I would say I think our average buyer is, you know, 55 years old, has one to two kids who are um, sort of in university um, on the edge of, of being at home and leaving home. That, that kind of thing. Um, where are they from? 75% um, of our buyers are Okanagan buyers. Um, I'd say 20% are Prairies buyers. And I mean that by that, I'd say Alberta and Saskatchewan. This is the Alberta contingent of Kelowna buyers used to be much larger. Um, about three years ago, it flipped with the lower mainland. So um, the, the, it, it was first and foremost Okanagan buyers, meaning people who are already in the Okanagan just moving and, and buying within the market. Um, and then uh, historically, this, the second largest group was Alberta buyers, uh, more re about three years ago, and that continues to today, um, those that turned to, to lower mainland buyers, so people moving from the lower mainland up here. Uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan would be sort of a close third. And then, of course, there's always a, a small percentage from, um, you know, Toronto, Ontario, Eastern Canada, and then international. Cool. Uh, um, a question popped in on this topic while you were answering. Do, do you see... Alberta, Calgary, uh, bouncing back and being a, a bigger player in the Kelowna market with oil prices negative or whatever they're at today, and no. generally Alberta having trouble is, is 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 Alberta a big buyer in your in your world over there? No, no, it's not, and I and I, I don't expect it will ever overtake the Lower Mainland again in terms of um, of sort of number of buyers. A number of people in Alberta, um, a number of people are are hurting and need, you know, I would say all of our help in Canada. But there are also a number of people who did well over the years and are taking this as an opportunity to say, you know what, you know, there's not going to be another run. Um, I'm going to retire now. So we're definitely still seeing them as a buyer, but it, do I see them as becoming sort of a major force again in the future like they were? Um, I, I, I think it's unlikely. Got it. Um, do you think we're going into negative interest rates? Um, no, I don't think so. Not in Canada, at least. I was still have a quarter, quarter point to go. <laughs> yeah, that was short and sweet, that one. Um, are there markets in the Okanagan area that are in worse shape than Kelowna? Or like, you know, that's, that's the whole question, but. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yes. Um, so Kelowna, um, again, is relative to Vancouver, it's still a small market, but relative to the Okanagan, it's a, it's a very big player. Um, it's, it's, the, it's a regional health center. It's actually all, you know, when you hear interior health, that, that's, you know, it, it's set headquartered in Kelowna. So that's, it's, it, that goes from the border to the Kootenays to like Prince George. So it's, it's very much a health center. It's very much a retail and commercial center. So um, yes, uh, when it comes time to look at maybe potentially distressed sales, the sub markets, the smaller markets around Kelowna, I don't know what you call them, C markets or, or tertiary markets, um, they will, they will see uh, greater price fluctuations than Kelowna, than Kelowna does for sure. Great. Thanks. Um, 
Next one here is uh, what are the 30 day and 90 day impacts on um, obtaining construction loans from this lockdown? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, so I have like four or five different uh, uh, financing requests out there right now. Um, it, the, the short answer is if you weren't already active with a lender, whether it be a credit union or a, a chartered, um, you're probably not going to be active during this time. Um, when it comes to total, basically the way a bank, banks are looking at this right now is if it's something they can forecast, i.e. you have pre-sales with decent deposits, you can still get construction financing today. Um, if it's something like, for example, I have another project for an office building. Um, it was too early in the process for that office building to have like pre-leasing done um, for me to go and get even interim financing for the land way, way, way more uphill. So what that means is you're going to be looking at a lot more equity going in your own equity, cash equity going into the development. Um, and then, you know, some, uh, some, some, some banks are looking for you to establish an interest reserve. So for example, say you're going to buy a retail building with three or four tenants already in it um, because the bank doesn't know how those tenants are going to survive. They're going to say, okay, you know, uh, you know, we'll give you 60 or 75% of loan to value on this asset, but we want you, at the same time, we want you to establish a 12 month interest reserve because we don't know how those tenants are going to look at. So uh, yeah. So short answer, if you, if you, if you don't have a relationship that's already, um, ongoing then um, challenging, uh, probably higher equity requirements. Um, and if you don't have pre-sales or pre-leasing to sort of show the, show, show the bank how it's going to work out again, challenging right now. Cool. Thanks. Um, Adam asked a kind of a, a couple part question here um, regarding the phases of construction. The first one, the first part is, are you finding there's a difference in construction average costs in the wake of COVID? No, not yet, but we certainly expect to. Um, expect so it to go down or up? Pardon me? Down or up? Down, down. down. So the very first thing, um, and in retrospect, like I said earlier, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. The very first thing we encountered was we couldn't get um, our, 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 um, our appliances out of uh, China and we couldn't get our tile out of uh, Italy. So, um, so we had to respect both of those because when, those, when we needed those is when those markets were shut down is before really it, it, it grew here. So we, we um, sort of felt exactly how globalized our supply chains are really quickly. Um, so to the extent that there are challenges in construction, most of the challenges have been around supply chains so far. Um, I do think price, construction prices are going to come off. Um, but even if you look at, you know, 07, 08, 09, um, they didn't come off much. They came off like maybe five to 10%. Labor for sure is more elastic than materials are. So materials will come off negligibly uh, and labor again, maybe a little more, 10, 15%. Great. And his, uh, his follow-up was, um, is there an average price difference between constru uh, construction costs between primary and secondary markets? Yes. Um, you know, don't quote me on this, but I mean, I, I know I'm building hard costs only. So like you can think of hard costs as like literally the wood and things like that we put into a house. Hard costs in Kelowna are in the $200 range. You know, if you go to, you know, Penticton or Vernon, they might be 
5% less than that. Uh, but then if you go to Vancouver, you know, they're, they're, you know, 30 to 50% more than that on a per square foot basis. So uh, yes, um, they are definitely, prices are certainly different in a secondary market. Well, and I think you, you kind of, you've answered this one earlier, but I'm just going to ask you again, um, with the COVID-19 impact on commercial real estate and businesses closed, which puts pressure on the landlord and the rental income, how will the crisis change the usage of commercial real estate? And is there anything new to learn from the crisis for new real estate models post COVID? Um, so, so if somebody could design either a built a, a floor plan or a lease model that allowed tenants to ebb and flow, flow in their sides more easily, or to have shared space that can remain safe in terms of ster sterilization. Um, while of course, you know, the easy answer is, you know, just let tenants come and go, but that doesn't work really for a landlord in terms of their performa. So, um, so to, to, if somebody could design a lease that both protects the landlord in terms of vacancies and, and rent, um, but allows tenants to sort of ebb and flow as they need the space, or, you know, more common space. Um, part of me thinks that this is going to be a, a real problem for those shared common workspaces that were totally open. Uh, but, but part of me thinks that a lot of office users, because they're going to want a lot less space, if there's a way that they could share office spaces, but still retain um, obviously security, but then, um, you know, sterile work environments, it makes a lot more sense for them because maybe they have a lot smaller floor plan needs or footprint needs. Great. Um, two, two last questions. Um, this one's a short one, but probably a big one is, does WeWork survive? It's a great question. Jeez. Um, no pressure. Yeah. Um, they probably shouldn't have survived to date already as it is. Uh, but they're, they're, I guess you could say their parent company is very well capitalized. Um, I think it depends on, I think it depends on how messy the office market gets in the, in, in the markets that they are heavily in. Um, so, you know, if it's, if it's five, 10, 50%, 15% vacancies, I think that they could, I think for sure they're going to have to pivot their, their business model uh, without question. They're going to have to change their business model again um, when it was taken over from the, the founders uh, six or eight months ago or whatever that was. Um, but I think it might be market dependent and, and, and really how bad vacancy gets in that office market from, from a business closures, but also be remote work. Again, if it's, you know, if it's five, 10, 50% vacancies, I think probably they, they'll, they'll be fine. And again, change their business model and carry on. Um, but if, if, if it gets a lot worse than that, then no, I think they'll probably shut their doors. Got it. And uh, last question. Um, if there was a tip you could give to real estate investors, you know, more commercial based investors, what would that main tip be? Number one tip. Man. Um, these, these days, just things are changing so quickly. So, uh, you know, stay nimble. Um, we, more and more, what we find ourselves doing is, pl is planning a floor, a, a floor. So, you know, you're entering, 
usually you're going to get pre-sales or pre-leasing when you start a new commercial development. Okay. Um, and, and you're going to design your building around what those pre around a, what your vision for the development is, but also around what your, your, those initial tenants are. Um, we're finding ourselves more and more, um, doing multiple space plans for that space. Uh, and what it does, it, it, and it's very simple things like literally plumbing stubs and things like that. So that a space that, you know, today might be a small retailer, um, tomorrow might be a, a live work unit where people can live in. So maintaining flexibility in any and every way, like physically, physical flexibility in the spaces, but then in terms of your leases and your financing, um, absolutely, you know, uh, in a situation like this, if you can be using, um, you know, obviously land, land secured lines of credit um, to help help your cash flow or help a new project where it needs it, uh, f flexibility it, it seems to be increasingly the name of the game in real estate. And I, I mean, I would, I would. That wraps another episode of the Addy Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe to get the next episode. For more information, visit addyinvest.com. Until next time.